Hey, quick break to talk about our sponsor today. We're talking about HubSpot and their new AI-powered service hub. Okay, so what is service hub? Basically, every customer today wants to be talked to in a personalized way. And before, that required tons of human agents. But now, with AI, you could do that in a personalized way with fewer humans involved. And so you don't have to scale up your team in order to deliver personalized chat and service. So check out HubSpot's new service hub to use their AI tools to give better support to your customers. That's what they want and that's what they deserve. So visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn how this all new solution can help you deliver customer service with AI to your customers. Hello, everyone. This is Sam Parr from The Hustle and My First Million. If you're hearing this, I hope you've already heard an episode and you know who I am. So I'm going to get past that. So today we have a special episode. This one's for trends members only, but... Uh, we do these things a bunch and we don't always announce them. But for this one, I wanted to share it with you all and give a little bit of it for free. So you can listen to the first 20, 30 minutes of it. And then after that, you'll have to sign up for trends to hear the rest. I know we are such a tease, but there's a ton of value early on. And that's what we're trying to give to you for free. So if you want to hear the rest, go to trends.co and you could hear it. But today we have Ryan Hoover on the podcast. And Ryan Hoover is a friend of mine because we used to live near each other in San Francisco. And Ryan Hoover started this great company called Product Hunt, ProductHunt.com. It started as a project. I was actually with him the day before it launched. And it was a little side project he had where people would post products on their website. And I thought it was a horrible idea. And it completely worked and was a huge hit. And people love it. And the reason why I had him come on the podcast is because Ryan has seen... uh, probably products hunt is probably four years old now he's seen a ton of products launch off a of product hunt and now he has a, a venture capital firm that he runs and so he's got really 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 good insight and intel into what he thinks is going to be popular um, what he thinks is going to blow up before most people even know that the particular company exists and he's got a good eye for things and so in this podcast we break down four different categories that he thinks are going to explode and he gives examples of each company and explains why he thinks it's going to be big so Listen up. Here it is. Let's get to it. So right now I'm talking to Ryan Hoover. It's three o'clock on February 4th. The leak of our deal went out yesterday about four o'clock. And so, uh, yeah, it was a little nutty. We were going to do it on Monday. They always get leaked. We had a leak of our Series A um, product hunt back in the day. And I was so scared because it was like the term sheet was signed, but it wasn't done. And sounds like yours has been done, done, though. It closes Monday, but everything's signed. All right. So similar boat. But we're all, I mean, everything's fine. But who do you think did it? Leaked your news? Who do you think leaked yours? Oh, leaked mine? No, yours. That's a good question. I never found out. Alexia at TechCrunch, when she was there, she's the one that wrote about it. And um, we've now become good friends. And even the day before she published it, she texted me asking for like a comment. And then, of course, I was like, uh, I don't know what to say. I don't know, though. I don't know who leaked it. If you're out there, if you're listening to this podcast and you leaked it, just let me know. I'm not going to be mad. I'm just curious. <laughs> Wait, so you wouldn't be mad? if I When I find out, I think I found out a little bit. I get angry. I would have been angry back then, but now I'm, it's, I was like, what, six and a half years ago? Time has passed, so I'm okay. So let me do like a short introduction. But basically, Ryan Hoover started this company called Product Hunt, which was a big deal. It still is a big deal. He since sold it to AngelList. Now he has a fund. Wait, do you call it the Weekend? What's your fund's name? Weekend Fund, yeah. Weekend Fund. How big is it? Do you say? Yeah, yeah. We're in the second fund, $10 million fund. Pretty great. Ryan's been uh, in this space for a while. And I have a funny story about you, Ryan. I don't think I've ever said this to you in person, but maybe you've heard me talk about it, about you. But basically, so before I started my business and before Ryan started his business, I used to have this book club and Ryan came and spoke. And I frankly, I don't even know how we connected, 
But you came and spoke about something just with 10 of us. You were like leading the book club. I think it was when I was doing Startup Edition, maybe. And maybe it was like through that that we got connected. Or maybe it was when I was writing the book Hooked with Near. I think that's what, no, it was hooked. It was hooked because we were talking about habits. The thing was supposed to go an hour long, but we served beer. And like some people just hang out and you were antsy. Your legs were shaking. And I was like, what was that? what's going on? <laughs> yeah, you were like, I was like, what's going on? He's like, I'm sorry, I got to run. I'm, I'm launching this thing tomorrow. And you said, was it called Product Hunt at first? It was, yeah. Product yeah. Hunt IO. You're like, I'm watching this thing tomorrow and you're, you, it does this thing and this thing. In my head, and this is an insult, I'm sorry, but in my head, I was like, this is not going to work. What is he doing? This is so silly. And from the beginning, it took off and I was wrong about everything because I came up, uh, became a huge user. And so I was with you like 12 hours before you launched it. And I remember you were all antsy and stuff. It was pretty funny. I remember being there, but I forgot the sequence of events. I totally forgot about that, that it was around that time. That was a fun chat. I remember it being in like a really weird, weird, I don't even know what to call yeah. it. A really weird space. So it was called the Anti-MBA. It was my book club. And I knew a guy who ran a scavenger hunt business. I've done that. I did the scavenger hunt. The same one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So companies pay them like a couple thousand dollars to like uh, do a, a city scavenger hunt. Somehow I became friends with him and he had this like office that was kind of like a bar pretty much. And it was kind of dirty and he would let me use it for book club. So there was like ski ball machines and it was a dingy room. And that's how we all met. And I met a lot of people that way. So the reason I wanted to have you on is because one, I haven't talked to you in a, in a while though. We exchanged texts or uh, Twitter stuff. I hear your voice a lot though in my ears. I listen to your podcast all the time. So, so I feel Thank like you. that's awesome. <laughs> that's so cool. That makes me feel great. But we wanted to have you on because with my job doing trends and the hustle, I see a lot of really cool stuff that I think is, I see it before it gets popular. You do the same thing, but probably times like a hundred because on product, you see what's going to get popular. You probably have an idea of like what's going to hit, what's not going to hit. You're an investor. So you kind of do what I do, but times a hundred. And so that's why I wanted to have you on to talk about cool stuff that you're seeing and why you think it's cool. And, uh, Cool. Ryan has a list of like 20 different stuff that he wants to talk about. Well, we don't even talk about all of it. Leading up to this, I was actually thinking like what topics are interesting to talk about. So I felt like this was actually a good opportunity for me to like reflect on certain themes anyway. So, but yeah, excited to chat. With your fund, what has been some of the most successful, or not even your fund, you personally, but of all your investments into private companies, what are some of the most successful ones? If I was to choose like a category, uh, fintech has been the most successful from a, both a revenue generation, but also from like a markup perspective. We're investors in in a few companies deals, one of them, which is like remote payroll. The insight was that there's this compliance issue and challenge that a lot of people have when hiring remotely across different countries. And deal is basically just, it's like gusto, but for international contractors. So that's one. Uh, we're investors in Pipe, Harry Hurst company. I've known Pipe since the skirt days when he was working in that company, which is doing some really interesting things around um, kind of debt financing. They won't call it that exactly, but it's in that space because they're kind of reinventing the category in some respect. And then um, we're also investors in Main Street, which is like, the value prop is free money, which is great for startups. And they're doing great. They advertised with us. And I think it, it went really well because the, basically what Main Street does, it goes through your QuickBooks, I think. It goes through something and finds out where you've overpaid in taxes so you can get a tax rebate, right? Some of that, it's a lot of it's, um, what's crazy is a lot of startups and companies, including like myself up until till now, don't realize that you can actually get government grants and incentives per engineer hire and, and other things like that. And one, people don't know about it. Two, it's a pain in the ass to actually apply for and three, you then have to wait for the government to send you money like several months in the future. So they basically, you plug in your QuickBooks or or your payroll and it just like automates that entire process for you. They take like a small sliver of that money. And so it's it's like literally free money, which is like a crazy sell. But yeah, they're growing really fast. So one thing on the podcast that I've talked about a lot 
And I think I've oversimplified it a bit, but job boards. And on your list of things that you want to talk about, you have this thing called vertical job marketplaces. So I'll read off actually the write-up that Ryan sent to me. So we saw a massive shift in how millions of people, millions of work people, uh, sorry, actually, why don't you just, I think you, you jotted it down. There's some typos. So why don't you actually just read what you had? Yeah, I, I, I didn't even reread my own writing. Tell the, over, the overarching theme here. Even from like taking a step back, I'm personally, too many people hate their job and <laughs> do something that they don't like. Uh, maybe they, they make a little bit of money. Maybe they make very little money. And ultimately, I would love to see more people find a job that they that maximizes like in both their skill set, um, but also like does something that they enjoy. And and so we've seen this huge shift with, with regards to like the gig economy. And that's enabled a lot of people to have a lot more flexibility, whether you like Uber or not, like Uber has, you know, essentially employed millions and millions of people and given them a lot more freedom and flexibility than they have before with, you know, a typical nine to five. And so I think this next big shift uh, in some respect is, is uh, you know, vertical job marketplaces um, in different forms. There are general purpose job boards and those have existed and those will continue to be valuable in many ways. But if you really build a company around like a very specific vertical, you can ultimately serve both the supply and the demand, the talent and the people looking to hire that talent much better than you would typically with like a horizontal job board. So anyway, I include a few examples, but I just find that category really interesting because I think it's really impactful for people, but also potentially very lucrative. So a great example of this one that I know a fair bit about because I researched it, it's not inside information, it's TopTal. Uh, you know TopTal? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people know him because they got in trouble for uh, the founder kind of maybe lying to people. But besides that... No, it, I didn't know about that. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he didn't like... Something involving people's shares, he like didn't he lied about granting shares, and so it, it was all over the news. But that's not important for what we're talking about, which is the business. They claim to have scaled to like a hundred million dollars in revenue for their job, and I think they are the perfect example of this, right? Yeah, and they're um, for those that don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. You probably know more about them. They're they're basically outsourced engineering talent, right? Is that they're primarily focused on right now? Yes, but it's very similar as marketer hire, which you have listed here. So basically, they have pre vetted. It was just pre-vetted particular types of engineer. Now they have pre-vetted finance people, pre-vetted marketing people. And you pay, let's say, $200 an hour, and they give half of that to the vetted person who you've interviewed and approved. So it's a little bit different, but of similar mechanics. And they scale to like $100 million in revenue with close to no funding. It's a pretty lucrative business. When I hear about some of these like freelance marketplaces, particularly like marketer hire, mm-hmm. I think maybe that can work. They seem like really hard businesses to get right. Yeah. Do you agree? I, I agree. I mean, marketer hire in particular, I've uh, I met Chris Toy, the CEO, a while back, and, and we've been chatting. And then Advisable is also a very similar company in the same space, I think based out of Europe. And they're really difficult. I think the hard thing with these businesses oftentimes is how do you avoid people going off platform? And then how do you also keep companies, you know, retained? So one of the challenges is, let's say you work with a a marketer and you like them and either you work on them with them on a project basis. And so there's ultimately going to be churn in three to six months, like no matter what, (laughs) or they try to like take them off platform and just work with them full time. So that is a challenge. I am attracted to the, the opportunity to like overcome those challenges though, because I think marketer hire in particular or marketing, let's say in general I think it's actually a really good role to be hiring for like on a contract or project basis for early stage companies because because of a few reasons. One is there's so many different channels that you could be acquiring users through. And it's really, as a small team, you really don't have experts who really understand like TikTok and understand like maybe SEO and understand Facebook advertising, Instagram advertising. In many ways, I think it's actually advantageous to hire like an expert who really understands that space to come in, not only do it, but then teach you as a company. And so I think from... um 
if I was building a new company, I need marketing help. I would certainly look to those platforms to like make progress rather than trying to hire like a generalist who's probably not going to be as good and might not be the right person for like where we actually figure out like what channel we want to focus on down the road. I think that the first example you have pattern, I think that, and it looks like you invested in it. I would put my money on pattern above marketer hire or any other white collar job. I would put pattern over it. Yeah. Than a white collar job. What's pattern? Yeah. And I have, uh, so as you mentioned, uh, I'm an investor in pattern, um, met Wilson back when he was, uh, He's actually asking for for feedback on his YC application, and I was like, "Damn, this company is like really compelling and and it's off to a good start." And and now I don't know if I can share numbers, but like they've grown significantly in revenue um, over the past year or so. And basically, what Pattern is, it's a um, a marketplace for hourly workers. They started off initially with like hospitality. And an example here is, let's say you're doing an event and you need two bouncers, you need some wait staff, you need a few cooks, you need all these people to assemble at this particular time that have the right skills. And you need them to be reliable because like you don't want, you know, one of the cooks not to show up on your event day. And so if you think about like the logistics challenges of like bringing all those people together is really challenging. And so obviously software is a great way to, to do that. And so they built really smart ways to like assemble people to bring them here on the same at, at the same time to qualify and ultimately like have a, a signal of quality for these people versus like just hiring people off Craigslist, you know, is one kind of extreme. So yeah, they're doing great. And it's also an industry that the tech world doesn't look at as much because it's it's for like hourly workers and like warehousing, hospitality, cleaning, things that I think are less top of mind for a lot of entrepreneurs. So yeah, they're they're great. What when the founder pattern is talking to you, or maybe just in your own opinion, how big could that business get on a best case, middle case, worst case scale? Well, so pattern isn't necessarily the only one like building in this space. So sometimes when we look at investments, we I mean we obviously look at like who else is doing this or has tried this. That's helpful in getting some sort of comps to understand, okay, well, if another company has reached this kind of scale, we have some sort of like indication of, is there a market for this? Sometimes often, often like early uh, first to market players, the ones who create markets or at least prove out markets exist. And so sometimes we look at that. Couldn't you just look at like a, an old school staffing firm for nurses? Yeah. And that's another way of doing it. Like look at different industries, how many people are employed in those spaces, do some math around like the value of those contracts. So there's a few different ways of doing it. It was a while ago when we made the investment. So I don't remember exactly like our thought process then. These markets are just massive. I mean, people are always looking to hire, especially in that this industry, there's a lot of turnover typically. We've actually spoken to some truck driving uh, marketplace kind of staffing companies as well, which are also massive. You know, that's my thing, right? No. Oh, um, no, my, my next company is going to be in the truck industry because I too, my family's in that industry and I know how high the turnover is for truckers. It's like crazy. Yeah. So with Pattern, could this be a multi-billion dollar company? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's early in that, like, I can't say like they're going to be that, that tomorrow or, or next year, but, um, you know, the market size is massive for these types of things. And this is also what we try to look at is it's hard sometimes to see like how big is this market? How big could this get sometimes, especially when it's like really early and it's like potentially creating a new market, like Clubhouse, let's say. Clubhouse in my mind, it's like talk radio and podcasting and a little bit of Twitter in one. And that market is massive. But in some ways, they're also kind of defining a market. So it's not that clear, like how big it is, really. I consider myself not to be that smart. And when I'm trying to like figure something out, I'm like, what's like the linchpin? What's like the one thing that matters to getting this right? With the hustle, it was, if I write good content, it'll be easier to get users for cheap. 
So basically, my secret sauce is writing good content. And then my secret secret sauce is acquiring users. For Product Hunt, maybe, I'm guessing, maybe it was, I've got to convince lots of people to post their stuff on here every day. I don't know if that's the truth. For us, it was, um, yeah, something that I think about too is like, what is the big risk in this company? And, and uh, I also make an assumption that everyone has tried everything. And so either something has to change, whether it's like a consumer behavior shift or a technology shift. And that founder or that team also has to have some sort of like unique ability to like solve for the biggest problem or risk. So with Product Hunt, Product Hunt is the community piece. It's not hard to build Product Hunt from a technical perspective. The product design is important, but fundamentally it's all in how you build a community in the beginning. And then once you build that and establish that brand and that that um, that flywheel with the community, then, then it can work and grow. But that was the big risk ultimately. With these vertical job marketplaces, what's the big risk there? Like what's the thing that you have to solve and then all the other things you have to solve are much easier? Is it convincing employers to hire these people? Is it being able to properly vet them? Is there like, what's the hard part? I think there are nuances depending on which industry, but the, I mean, in those marketplaces, you basically have usually two different parties. You have people who are hiring and people who want to be hired. <laughs> I tend to, to try to think about which is the harder side of the market and try to solve for that first. And so without giving information about like how Pattern accomplished it, they were able to, to find that balance and get both talent that seemed to be high enough quality and also demand at the same time, and then like balance that and scale that as they grew. But that's how we tend to think about it because marketplace models, the risk of these is when people focus on the easy side of the market and ultimately need both to work. But if you focus only on the easy side, you never get the hard side and you like delay the hard side in a sense, then you're almost like delaying failure <laughs> is kind of how I see it. With like saying marketer hire or advisable or others like that, my assumption is actually that it's the talent is the harder thing to get. Because I think if you get high quality talent, companies will come, especially when they're looking for people who can help with distribution, which is like such a hard thing right now. So I try to think through those dynamics and like which side is harder and, and how is the company either, how are they doing it now or how, how are they positioned to like take advantage of that? I'll use one example, AngelList, um, which I have obviously a close connection with. AngelList is unique in its job marketplace in that it doesn't pay for talent, unlike a lot of other platforms. It just has essentially free talent. They people sign up, they create profiles, and it's very unique in these these markets. And when you have to pay for talent, you start to run into really hard challenges with CAC versus LTVs and like all these other like variables, which can like get thrown out of whack if Facebook changes their algorithm or if another competitor comes in and throws a bunch of money in the space. So I tend to try to invest in companies that are not reliant on paid advertising or paid acquisition in those types of places. That's exactly why I'm asking this. I forget the framework or something that he uses where he's like, is this a technical challenge or a marketing challenge? Like, which one is this going to be? And a lot of times it's like a marketing challenge. So for example, if I'm wanting to beat a pattern and I want to appeal to the nursing industry and create like a vertical job marketplace for nursing. Should I partner with a Facebook community that has a ton of nurses there? And like, should I start building audience all around nurse? And then once I, and then I could easily go and get hospitals to say, well, if you're, if they're qualified, we would take it for sure. It's like, boom, all I got to do is get the nurses then. Or is it like, oh no, nurses are desperate. They're going to go anywhere that's work. And so I have to work my ass off and get, make sure that the hot, I got to go hospital first, hospital first. It's almost like where am I, when I'm, the reason I'm asking this is I'm like, where do I have to focus on Assuming this is a marketing problem, where do I have to focus on building an audience in order to sell this so I can have a really cheap cat? Or is this something like marketing hire, which is a white collar job? Do I have to come up with some type of really good test or some type of really good 
pattern recognition that I can spot the winners from the losers and then I can put my brain on them and hire them out. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and then a lot of this comes down to like optimizing funnels when you get some sort of scale too, where it's like, okay, how do I find good people, qualify good people, keep them around? I'm a big fan, big proponent of community driven, like community driven strategies where maybe you don't even know the product is exactly, (laughs) but starting off with a community and building something for them or building an audience of some sort is super valuable because it'll give you two things. Like one, it'll give you an audience for when you launch the thing. And two, it'll hopefully give you a lot of insight into like how you can build a great product for those people. People probably ask you all the time, can you explain to me how to build community? I don't think I'm as good as you at it, but we do an okay job. When people ask me, I'm like, I don't know how to teach you how to do this. I, I really don't know. Do you think you could teach someone to do this? I mean, I think you could teach anyone to do anything. It's just some people might pick it up more naturally or, or just be more, more organic. I don't know. I think I've never taught anyone. Um, and I think a lot of community building wasn't, I never wrote, like read anything about community building. So it was sort of intuitive for me, probably for yourself as well. That's maybe why it's hard to like teach. Um, yeah. But I think there's some like things that you can understand, I think, to get, get your, well, first, I think it's important to like define what community is because a lot of people think like, oh, my audience, my Twitter followers are my community and that's a community. I'm like, eh. I hate when people say that. Yeah. It's in no disrespect to them. Sometimes people just don't, understand actually what community is. And part of the reason is because community is such a cool thing right now. So everybody throws that label on it. I mean, for me, community is, is a few things. It's it's one, I think by definition, a community requires people in that community to interact with each other. It really isn't a community unless they're interacting in some form or another. Two, community is really about a sense of belonging of some sort. And so if you go like an example is like church and religion is is like the ultimate community. You go to, you know, Sunday service and you have this fellowship and you have this belonging and you have, you know, symbols in your home that represent your faith and all those things. And so like a sense of belonging, it might be represented maybe in a startup as like swag. If someone's wearing the hustle swag or trend swag, like that clearly means they're like into you, they're into the community, they're they're in some ways putting their identity, associating their identity with your brand and your your community. The third piece, it technically actually isn't required to be like, I would say part of the community definition, but I think it's really important to think through is like what utility are these people getting out of this? So if they're just kind of like into it to be part of these people, interact with these people, there ultimately has to be some sort of utility or value that they're getting. And so with trends, it's like you would be able to define this better than I, but like in my estimation, it's people who are really curious, people who want to start companies, people who are already building companies, people who want to know what's like next, like that's utility. That's super valuable for them. My definition of community is not nearly as thorough. What I always tell people, I'm like, you probably have an audience. And if you don't know if it's an audience or community, Stop creating content for about three weeks <laughs> and tell me, does it grow or does it die? If it goes down and there's less interaction, then you have an audience. If it keeps on going as if you're not even there, that's a community. Yeah. That's how you know the difference. Yeah. Um, I think that's... Like, just don't make content. But it also touches on like why communities are so powerful. So an audience is great too. Like an audience, just pure audience business is fantastic. However... That requires you to keep building stuff, keep creating content. And once you stop, you know, go on vacation, then it stops. But a community like with Product Hunt, I don't post a Product Hunt really at all. Like in terms of like posting new products, I don't have to. Um, inten- I actually intentionally don't do it all that often. You don't even work there anymore either. Yeah, technically I'm not a CEO anymore there. So <laughs> not my problem anymore. But yeah, I mean, the communities are powerful because they scale and they allow you to reach new people and allow you to like create, I put air quotes for those that aren't watching or, or looking at me, but effectively like scale to other communities and other people that you personally wouldn't be able to create content for. To wrap up this vertical job marketplace bit, which other industries do you think are interesting to you? Like where should the next pattern or marketing hire 
where should the next industry be? You said trucking. A lot of people listening to the podcast make fun of me because I always say that. So I agree with you. Is there anything else? Uh, what's it called? Um, oil. Um, rig up. Rig up is doing something like this for oil for oil workers. Yeah. Um, is there any other? You know, I'll be honest. I haven't thought deeply enough to to have a good answer for that. But one thing that I think is interesting, if we were to like say I want to build a you know vertical job marketplace, but I'm not sure where. I think one thing to do is just like which industry is going through the biggest shifts and which industry will benefit the most from technology and software. And there's a bunch still that that are, haven't been really reshaped through software today. So yeah, I don't know specifically what market to go after, but that's kind of what I would think of. I was thinking about this a lot about this topic and I think about it all the time and I'm like, what is the value equal? Like what are the variables that combine equal value? And it's like um, hourly pay, of the worker times number of workers times quantity, like how often they get a new job. And so I'm like, all right, oil workers, like there's a fair bit of them. They make $50 an hour and they're always getting new jobs. Oh, that's a big one. Like truck drivers, their pay's low, but there's like millions of them and they get new jobs all the time. So that's interesting. Do you know what I mean? Like I've been doing like that equate or like marketers, like not that many of them, but you pay them like a hundred thousand dollars a year. And they do probably two jobs a year. Okay, the math works out. Like that's how I've been thinking about like the, is this interesting or not? Do you, do you agree with that? I think it's useful. I think another variable is which market has really low trust. So meaning right now, if you're to hire someone and there really isn't a great way to trust or, or have some sort of verification of this person's like abilities, I think that's also a really interesting place because theoretically you could start building trust essentially through a marketplace. And, and that also lends itself to potentially higher retention if this person, this talent is relying on your, this marketplace where they built an identity and this uh, maybe reputation of some sort. They, so that, that also helps them like, you know, get more jobs or get more money. I think that's another variable that's, that's worth exploring. Let's talk about this no code thing. And no code at this point is almost like a joke, right? Like everyone says no code. no code. It's like, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's like calling, it was like, you know, saying cloud like a few years ago, like, you know, it's a very buzzy word, but I actually remember you were talking about this for a long time. Kind of lines actually with product Hunt's journey. Cause the theory of product Hunt was, well, this is sort of in retrospect at the time. It was just like, I love products. I want to share products with friends. And that was the only thought in my head, but after the first three or four months, I realized, holy shit, like. All right, that's the end of the episode. Sorry to cut it short. Sorry to be a tease. I know. Hopefully you got a lot of value. So if you want to hear the rest, go to trends.co. If you don't want to uh, sign up, that's cool too. We're going to keep doing this podcast and that's free. Um, but check it out, trends.co. And you can click podcast and you can hear the rest of the episode as well as a whole archive of more episodes just like this, most of which we haven't announced, but there's a lot on there. See ya.